The Spin-Off Podcast Network. When the Facts Change is brought to you by the Spin-Off Podcast Network in partnership with Kiwi Bank. The bank for Kiwi looking to get ahead in business and in life. A bank that delivers expertise and banking know-how, smart advice for business owners wanting to invest, grow their business or diversify. A bank that adapts with technology through the lens of its people and customers. It is a bank with heart that is driven by its purpose. Kiwi making Kiwi better off. Are you feeling slightly anxious right now about the phone you're probably listening to this podcast on? Do you have low battery anxiety? I get it a little bit when I get below 20%, when the little thing on my phone says, turns red and says I'm under 20%, I start to look shiftily around for some type of PowerPoint to charge myself up, particularly if I know I'm just about to jump on a plane or a long car ride. And then, of course, I have to make sure I'm plugging into the car charger because without our phones being properly charged, we can't do much. We can't pay for things. We can't listen to things. We can't talk to people. We can't search for things. And so we're quite aware of how our phones use power, how long the batteries last in our phones, and how power-hoggy some of the apps and programs are, not just on our phones, but on our, on our laptops. This week on When the Facts Change, I'm going to talk about low battery anxiety, but not for phones, for our entire society. Over the next 20 or 30 years, we're going to have a collective case of low battery anxiety, because electricity is going to be such an important part of our transition to carbon zero. We need a lot more renewable electricity, partly to replace the million tonnes of coal or so that we're burning every year through the Huntley Power Station and also through all of those dairy plants that use that heat to dry milk powder. We need to replace that. But also we need to generate a lot more electricity because we're going to be converting a lot of cars and buses and trucks from petrol and diesel to electricity. How are we going to do that? How are we going to increase supply and at the same time deal with a massive increase in demand? Quick diversion into Economics 101. When you do that, when you have an increase in demand and it's quite difficult to increase supply, typically you just have a big old spike in prices to encourage people who need to produce the supply to invest a lot of money in these new wind farms and solar farms and geothermal plants because they're really expensive. So how do we change that equation so we don't get this massive spike in prices just at the time when we need everyone to think that it's a good idea to switch from petrol and diesel to electricity? Well, one way to do it is to use batteries for electricity and also to change the demand side of the equation. Let's jump quickly back to our mobile phones. Remember, Apple in particular has done a lot of work in changing the apps it has on its devices, changing the software, making it work with the hardware so that it reduces the drain on battery life and then, of course, increases the battery life so that we can not have quite so much low battery anxiety. So it's, in effect, changing the demand within the mobile phone. Just imagine if we could do that in our houses and in our factories, changing the demand for the electricity, and changing in particular the peak demand for electricity. Because remember, electricity isn't like some other good or service that you can store up in a 
warehouse and go to the supermarket and get it when you need it. You need to flick a switch and the electricity needs to be there, being generated by some hydroelectric plant hundreds of miles away. And sometimes it all happens at once and unexpectedly. To give you an example, in Britain in 2003, over 20 million people sat down to watch England play Australia in the 2003 Rugby World Cup final. That's, of course, the one we went in. So just imagine it is late at night in Australia on a Saturday night, which means it's reasonably early in the morning in Britain on a Saturday morning. Everyone's just got up. They've watched the first half of the rugby. It's looking good. There's a break of 10 minutes. 12 million people get up and look to have a cup of tea or cup of coffee. On that day, in that halftime break, 844,000 kettles were turned on for no doubt an awful lot of cups of tea and coffee. And they were all turned on at once. Four and a half power stations were needed in that halftime break. Now, luckily, the power providers in Britain had planned for that. They knew there might be a spike. They'd been there before. They'd seen all these various television events where suddenly everyone got up at the end of the program and decided to have a cup of tea. So they were ready for it. But effectively, they had to build the system to deal with those spikes in demand. So how do we smooth out those spikes in demand so that we don't have to build enormously big electricity systems, which are expensive, to deal with that? One of the interesting things that's important for us is that Japan has changed its rules for electric car makers so that their cars can be two-way chargers. They can not only drive into the garage, switch on and charge the car from the house, they can also drive into the garage, switch on the battery and charge the house the other way around. That means effectively your car battery becomes part of the electricity system. And if your electricity retailer can work closely with the software in your car and in your house, you can start to use it to smooth out those peaks. And of course, there are lots of other ways you can effectively do what Apple does, which is change the software in its devices to work with its hardware to ensure that you don't have that low battery anxiety. Now, in New Zealand, we haven't had a lot of really innovative retailers who have done much of this at the moment, but there is an opportunity opening up for a lot more innovation in retail electricity, particularly around this demand side. That's what this week's When the Facts Change is about. I talked to Margaret Cooney, who is the Chief Customer Officer at Octopus Energy, about how a change in the law that happened last year when we were all slightly busy with COVID around Section 36 of the Commerce Act creates an opportunity for a lot more competition in the electricity sector, where new retailers like Octopus Energy which has over a million customers in Britain, but is looking to launch here, can start to offer up these sorts of services and software and technology, which smooths out those peaks of demand and helps us avoid the most painful case of national low battery anxiety in the next 20 or 30 years. That's this week on When the Facts Change. To try and find out more about this demand side and this change in electricity competition regulation, I wanted to talk to Margaret Cooney, who is the Chief Customer Officer for Octopus Energy, a new electricity retailer here, but operating already in Britain. Welcome, Margaret. 
Tell us about what's happening with Octopus Energy. Who is Octopus Energy? What are you doing? What are you planning? Hi, Bernard. Thank you very much for having me. Um, So Octopus Energy is an electricity retailer with the subsidiary. We're operating in New Zealand now, but with the subsidiary of Octopus Energy in the UK, which has an interesting story. It started in 2015 and um, has grown to um, one of the largest electricity retailers in the UK. So with over three and a half million customers there and a reputation for excellent service and innovation. So it's spread into a number of different adjacent businesses like uh, leasing EVs and providing flexibility services and licensing its technology to some of the largest players around the globe. Um, in the energy space as well. So you've looked at the New Zealand market. You obviously got a background in the New Zealand market and you're looking at launching or uh, where are we in the process? Yeah, so in New Zealand, we set up office about two years ago and that was primarily to use it as an operations and tech hub um, for servicing our activities around the globe. Um, But we thought there was an opportunity also to, to enter the New Zealand market um, and use it as a bit of a test bed for product development, which we can share with the rest of the group because there, while, while there's challenges in the wholesale market in the New Zealand electricity sector, we have some really nice things here, like um, a regulatory environment that's supportive of innovation generally in the retail space and also uh, a very high level of smart meters. So we're up above the 90% um, range, which means we we do have the data there that can be used to do interesting um, product development for consumers. Yeah, I'm fascinated with the smart meters thing because you're right, they're often there. Yeah. But I don't get a sense they're being used to their full extent at the moment. Obviously, they measure how much electricity you're using and when. But my sense is that retailers and generators haven't quite maximise their use of the data and started to do fun things uh, inside the house as well as outside the house. Yeah, that's that's probably a fair comment. I think a smart meter measures the amount of electricity used. So in and of itself, it's it's not the most exciting thing, but it's how you couple that that data with other things going on in the customer's life where it starts getting interesting and where you can genuinely have an influence on the cost of supplying energy to consumers. So tell us about um, how Octopus could uh, be a retailer when I'm guessing you don't have a a big furnace or a bunch of windmills or uh, a solar farm anywhere. How could you possibly start selling electricity? Yeah, so in New Zealand, um, we have essentially a pool as as the market for electricity. So any electricity retailer or major industrial customer buys electricity off a common market that is then on sold to end consumers. So we've registered with the Electricity Authority. We've gone through all of the um, process for making sure that we've got good uh, practices for managing customer data and managing consumers and are authorised to trade in the in the market. 
and um, we essentially take that energy that's fed into the national grid and uh, on-sell that to our end consumers, which is the same as what every other electricity retailer in the country does. Now, obviously, we've got some some big players in the market who are what they call gen tailors, so they actually have some dams and furnaces and windmills, and we're thinking in particular of the big four, three of whom are 51% owned by the government. And then we've got some new retailers who have come in in recent years and some controversy, some complaints from some of those new retailers that they don't necessarily have access to the same prices as some of their big gen tailor competitors. And they argue that the market hasn't necessarily worked to encourage competition how do you view things from your point of view as someone who'd like to come into the market? Yeah, I think it's it's first worth touching on. So that pool that we buy energy off, that that's a spot market where the cost is determined every half hour. And as a result, depending on what's happening with the weather, whether the wind's blowing or, the, or raining and the hydro lakes are full, the price can change a lot. So as an electricity retailer, you also need to um, take a position on how you manage your risk. So you've got a couple of options, a few options there. So you can either basically go naked and bear the what's happening on the spot market, or um, the more prudent thing to do is to look at at entering into a financial transaction with a generator, uh, where you essentially hedge the risk, which means you know. I swap the volatility with the generator for a fixed price. Or you can be one of the gen tailors in the market and um, decide to build generation as well as a way of managing that risk. The concern that's that's emerged is that basically any of the independent retailers or major industrials haven't been able to access electricity risk products from the gen tailors at the prices that are equivalent to their retail arms. So that's the concern that's been um, bubbling away over the last few years. And it's particularly acute at the moment or off the back of the last couple of years where where there's been a lot of volatility in the market and high prices. So the retail tariffs, for example, would, would have an energy price wholesale energy equivalent price in there of around $100 a megawatt and and the market prices have been sitting uh, 50 plus percent for long periods above that. So um, really challenging environment for an independent player or major industrial to operate in. Now what's interesting at the moment is that there's been a change in the law that went through last year that governs how... um, uh, competition is covered by uh, the competition authority and effectively the the courts. And uh, this is interesting from the point of view of the electricity industry because it changes the test uh, which courts could use to decide whether a large company, let's say it's a gen tailor, uh, has been uh, doing things that restrict competition. Now, could you tell us how this thing, it's called Section 36, just to make it really sexy, how this thing has 
uh, um, potentially change the landscape a bit for electricity uh, and in particular some of the in- independent retailers? Yeah, so the Section 36 test used to be set a really high threshold for anti-competitive activity. So um, that's probably one of the reasons why we haven't seen the Commerce Action take, uh, Commerce Commission take any successful action um, really in this, in this space. And basically the test required a proving of both predatory intent and that the behaviour undertaken by the firm wouldn't have happened by a, a non-dominant firm. Um, so a really high threshold. And the recent changes bring New Zealand's competition law in line with most other economies around the world. So the test now is if you are dominant, then you have to consider the competitive effects of your actions essentially and make sure that they don't have a significant detrimental effect on competition. So it now places a special obligation on any of those parties with market power to consider the implications of their of their conduct. And if we look at the electricity sector, where as you've talked about, we've got a number of large players that um, as the Commerce Commission in previous reviews and EA, the Electricity Authority, have commented on um, from time to time uh, have different amounts of market power. But, you know, the, as, as a group, they're dominant and um, some of them have quite high levels of market power. So it now puts those firms in a position that they they need to consider the implications of their conduct, which is is quite different to the the previous arrangement where where they didn't have that responsibility on them. So if you're looking at it from a distance, you'd say in the past, the law made it very difficult to actually prosecute a company for being anti-competitive because not only did you have to prove intent to be uh, trying to use your market power in a in an anti-competitive way, but also the way that you tested that was essentially created such a high threshold that we never actually saw any action taken under Section 36. But under this new law, which was passed during a time when we were all looking at COVID, in theory, this makes it easier to make the, um, the large market players think a lot more clearly and carefully about what they do to make sure that they aren't squeezing smaller players out of the market. And some of those smaller players have protested in the last few years that they are being squeezed out of the market. What sort of things could the gen tailors do to actually you know, proactively or preemptively you know, improve things to ensure that they were on the right side of the law? Yeah, so there will be some behaviours that they were previously perfectly able to take that are no longer acceptable. So some people may remember that crazy day when uh, Genesis decided to hike the price to $20,000 and there was no supply shortage. So that kind of thing I imagine on the face of it, um, you couldn't get away with now. But but in terms of what they should be doing to avoid falling foul of the Commerce Act, it's making sure that they're basically dealing with with a third party on equivalent terms to how they would deal with their own internal um, arm. So 
that that will be reflecting on their internal processes and building something that kind of allows that more equivalent of arm's length arrangement um, to be struck with both the internal arm and the and external players as well. You're right. At the moment, we have companies which, as the name suggests, gen tailors do generating and retailing, and they've got two different arms within their company that do that. But at the moment, the negotiations that go on between those two arms uh, across the across the room, if you like, without a Chinese wall in the middle, we don't really know. It's not declared, and it's it's suspected. But no one's really sure that the price, if you like, that the gen tailors are uh, charging themselves, if you like, for their wholesale electricity matches in any way the sorts of deals that could be done or could be offered to independent retailers. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. There's been concern that the internal transfer price is much lower than the the market price. So that's one thing. And then ultimately the, the prices that are charged to end consumers aren't reflective of, of what's happening in the in the wholesale market as well. When the Facts Change is brought to you in partnership with KiwiBank to help you understand the issues affecting the economy. And that's what their team of experts is here to do too. Here's KiwiBank's Chief Economist, Jared Kerr, on what's happening with inflation in 2024. Globally, inflation rose to really high levels. We saw inflation averaging over 10% uh, last year. Now central banks have reacted. They've tightened monetary policy. They've lifted interest rates to levels where it hurts. We've seen growth slow down and we're seeing inflation coming off, which is great news because we import a lot of inflation from the rest of the world and that imported inflation is easing. So half the job that we're trying to do locally is is being done for us offshore. The other half, the domestic bit, well, that's the tough bit. That's the sticky inflation that's coming out of a housing market, it's coming out of construction, it's coming out of service industries, and it's going to be hard to contain. Visit kiwibank.co.nz to stay up to date with detailed economic analysis and forecasts from Jared and other KiwiBank experts. They take big issues from both here and overseas and make them relevant to Kiwi businesses. Are you making the most of your KiwiSaver investment? Generate is an award-winning KiwiSaver provider with a track record of strong long-term performance. Making a smart decision now could add tens of thousands of dollars by the time you reach retirement. Book a no-obligation chat with a Generate KiwiSaver advisor today at generatekiwisaver.co.nz slash advice. A copy of the product disclosure statement is available at generatekiwisaver.co.nz. The issuer of the scheme is Generate Investment Management Limited and, of course, past performance does not guarantee future returns. Ready to rediscover the joys of cycling? With over 300 kilometres of cycle paths across Tamaki Makoto, jumping on your bike and going for a ride is such a fun way to discover the city from a different perspective. Cycling is getting more and more popular across Auckland, so now's a great time to join the hype and give cycling a go. Head to at.govt forward slash cycling to find your nearest cycleway today. Yeah, so if the independent retailers could see that they could get access to the sort of prices that the big guys get, that would give them more uh, assurance about coming into the market. 
What do you think we could see if we got a lot more independent retailers in the market able to start investing in new technology, new marketing, new ways of doing things? Because I sense in New Zealand that we haven't got quite this sort of innovative, you know, really interesting use of technology to get people's power bills down and shift the power around that you might see in other places. Yeah, so what we've seen over the past couple of years because of the the issues in the wholesale market is actually a retrenching of retail competition. So we've seen some of the um, stronger uh, independent players, both Electric Kiwi and Flick, withdraw from the market at times in terms of competing for customers. So that that's because they've had uh, an inability to access wholesale cover that they need to manage their price risk. So if if firms like those independent players, plus people like Octopus, have the confidence that they can have uh, a good line of supply and, and manage costs, then I think it increases the opportunity for for growth and investment in the demand side of the electricity market. And that's really important because what's happening um, is there's significant changes in the economics around electricity. So, you know, solar is becoming much cheaper. Batteries will become cheaper as massive investment goes into that space. Also, the ability to unlock the demand side and move it around um, is becoming increasingly feasible as well. So many of us have within our home um, devices now that are enabled via the internet. There's an opportunity to shift consumers' load around through the day, which can be done without impacting on the customer's lifestyle, but it can have a big impact on the actual cost of supplying. So, you know, heat the home in this half hour, but not in this half hour when the, the price is 10 times what it was before, that that becomes an increasingly val- valuable innovation. And it's going to be really helpful for us going forward where we have a market that has much more volatility from more intermittent renewables in the mix um, to be able to unlock that that demand side and, and manage through the imbalances. Because we've got this big issue looming. We need to move to somewhere close to 100% renewable, stop burning coal at Huntley, and at the same time shift a lot of our transport fleet from using petrol and diesel to using electricity, which implies quite a big increase in demand for electricity and therefore the need to increase the amount of generation. And the issue with electricity is that it's not so much having a total amount of supply, it's having a total amount of supply at the peak of demand. And if you can move your peaks around or smooth them out, you actually potentially reduce the cost and speed up the transition to uh, getting towards carbon zero. So how important is the demand side in squaring the circle of, you know, uh, increasing demand and also increasing supply to get towards carbon zero? Oh, it's really important. And you'll see lots of the work going on across government at the moment emphasises the important role that the demand side has to play in in that energy future. So whether it's the Electricity Authority's 100% renewables work, the Climate Change Commission, 
Court's work or even the investigation into the outages from last year, they all say the demand side needs to play a bigger part and and we're really relying on it um, to pick up the slack. Um, I think the challenge is now how we actually activate that demand side and bring that technology and that flexibility to to market for consumers. We've seen it in the industrial space. So there is there are emerging um, things happening in New Zealand. Like if you look at Simply Energy's um, projects with industrial consumers where they're able to shift big industrial loads around based on what's happening in the market. It has a meaningful impact on the cost of supply for those customers. And it's that same concept which we are looking to bring down to the end consumer level as well. So we really don't want to impact consumers' lifestyles at all, but we want to make um, make sure that things are as affordable as they can be. Um, so what that looks like in practice is, uh, you know, we might be able to control your hot water cylinder remotely or your heat pump or your electric vehicle and take account of your preferences and needs as a consumer but also what's happening on the market and shift around that usage in the background while you get on with life. Yeah, and the issue of the electric cars is crucial in this, isn't it? Because the electric cars are not just using electricity, they're actually batteries on wheels. (laughs) And, And if you can connect them up to your house, they can become a very useful way to squash and move around the use of electricity and also potentially... Uh, uh, reduce the need for some of the upgrades a lot of people are expecting in the uh, electricity distribution networks, not just um, the big towers going from one island to the next, but also the lines and the substations within cities and towns. If you can knock that peak off, as you said before, it makes a real difference to the amount of cost that we're going to bear as consumers. And in particular, the use of um, car batteries as ways to store electricity and then push it back into the grid. It seems overseas people are looking at uh, using subscriptions to battery-powered cars these sorts of things to actually solve some of these problems. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. We've got a number of trials going on in the UK where we're testing the ability of of batteries to be used both for responding to uh, shortages in supply, but also there's in terms of balancing the grid more generally um, as well. And we've got an order in for a charger that allows us to inject uh, car batteries um, energy back into the grid and we'll be having a play with that hopefully by the end of the year and see how we can solve some of the issues in in New Zealand as well. Particularly when you look at um, the need to innovate and use new technology and new business models to deal with this demand side, it appears to me it would be much easier to do it if you had a lot of um, new retail entrants competing like like mad and pushing some of these big guys maybe to do some more interesting things too. Yeah, I think we'll realise that the um, innovations, if there is that opportunity to enter and grow, and that's that's what's really been had questions over it over the past few years. It's been very challenging for those entrants that have been in the market and we've, we've only seen them grow to about 10% or, or so, so they're making only small inroads into the incumbent 
domination of the retail market. So um, plenty of action ahead in the not just the com- competition space, but regulatory, legal, technical, and um, all with the aim of uh, getting us closer to carbon zero. Margaret Cooney, who is the Chief Customer Officer for Octopus Energy in New Zealand, thank you very much for being on When the Facts Change. Thanks, Bernard. When the Facts Change was brought to you by the Spin-Off Podcast Network, together with KiwiBank. Visit kiwibank.co.nz to find out how KiwiBank are making Kiwi better off. Kia ora e te iwi, te Ahe Butler here, podcast manager at The Spinoff. If you enjoy listening to our podcasts, consider supporting our mahi by signing up to become a Spinoff member at thespinoff.co.nz slash donate. The Spinoff Podcast Network.